Hey everyone, in this podcast, we will be talking about institutional racism and how it relates to COVID-19. The members in this podcast are Alexis Whitfield, Tenaria Schmidt, Janicia Shelby, and Chandler Bryant. And now we're going to start off with the interview. My name is Janicia Shelby. I am here with Tay Moore. And we are here to discuss the health disparities in black communities dealing with COVID-19. If you don't mind, we are gonna start now. Would you like to tell me your age? Um, my age is 20. Okay, Tay, where are you from? I'm from Conyers, Georgia, about 30 minutes away from Atlanta. Okay, have you ever been diagnosed for COVID-19? Yes, I have. Have you ever been treated for COVID-19? I have been treated. I have been treated by my mom, mm-hmm. but I haven't received actual treatment from the hospital. Okay, what does your mom do? My mom is a respiratory therapist. She is the she's a part of the group who put COVID-19 people on ventilators. Mm-hmm. So she deals with a lot of patients. Okay, so speaking of your mom's, she was your physician while for you while you had COVID-19, right? Yes, she was. Okay, so do you feel like you would have received different treatment if you would have went to, like, an actual hospital? Hospitals were getting flooded with people because COVID was new and no one knew if they had it or not. So I don't think I would have got seen in the hospital because that was turning a lot of people down. But they also set up drive through test centers to test people. But I thought, I think if I went to a hospital, I would have got treated. I would never got as much care than I did at home. Okay, okay. That, that makes sense. Okay, last question of the day. Speaking of you being from Atlanta and it's highly populated with African Americans, do you feel like COVID-19 was taken seriously in your community? And if it was, how do you feel like, like, how do you feel they did a job with preventing it from spreading? Like, do you feel like they did a great job preventing it from spreading? Or do you feel like it was taken as a joke? In the beginning, everything was taken as a joke. People were still going out with no mask and stuff like that. But later, it got serious because the government shut down the, t- the city mm-hmm. and put everyone on quarantine. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like, do you feel like they stopped the spreading? No. I feel like they stopped it temporarily, but then he had opened up the city, which made the spreading just start back growing fast. Okay. Well... This is Janicia, and I'm here with Tay, and we are done with our podcast on the health disparities dealing with COVID-19 in Black communities. The four categories we will speak on today about institutional racism, which are factors that play into Black people being more prone to COVID-19, are mass incarceration, the mistreatment of Black women, education within America, and redlining in neighborhoods. According to the CDC, black non-Hispanics out of 4,274,998 reported cases make up of about 658,922 of those cases, which is about 15.4%. There are, according to the U.S. Census, 43,984,096 black non-Hispanic Americans living in the U.S. today, so far 
those individuals, the cases per population percentage shows that it is 1.5% roughly. In comparison to white non-Hispanics, whom have reported cases of 2,102,490 and a total population of 250,446,756, the percentage for them is 0.83. So even though there are more cases for whites in America, they have a higher population, so therefore there is a disparity among blacks. But how does this relate to mass incarceration with blacks, you might ask? Well, in 2017, according to PewResearch.org, the number of blacks in prison totaled out to be 475,900 out of 44 million. In Michigan, where blacks make up of about 53% of prisons, 48% of those black prisoners died of COVID-19. This information comes from themarshallproject.org, which also states that 43 of 50 state prison agencies could not or would not provide this information, and, and epidemiologist Monique Jimenez states that this is another form of structural racism. The general consensus is that in prisons where COVID-19 cases continue to go up, data on race remains obscured. However, we can see if there is a lower percentage of blacks than whites in America, the percentage of blacks contracting COVID-19 outside of prison is higher than whites, and the number of blacks incarcerated in prisons is higher than the number of whites, then we can conclude that the percentage of blacks who contract COVID-19 is vastly higher than whites outside of prison and even possibly within it. This statement that racial data relating to COVID-19 in prisons remain hidden is also backed up by stat, statnews.com as well as theatlantic.com. But what about gender and the mistreatment of those genders? Alexis will speak more upon this mistreatment that black women specifically face. There are some racial disparities between women of color and women of not of color. <clears throat> a black woman is a woman with lighter brown to darker brown skin who is of African descent and has very beautiful textured hair. Around the world, especially within America, black and African-American women are treated poorly and are undervalued. Colorism, prejudice, and discrimination based on skin tone is more consequential in the lives of women of color and skin tone is a subtitle, but an impactful feature that can negatively or positively affect social interactions, both interracially and intraracially. Within the black community, colorism is sometimes used as a source of privilege. Black women with darker skin are stereotyped with derogatory attributes, such as being unattractive, dirty, or stupid, while light skin tone is associated with more positive traits like intelligence, attractiveness, and politeness. Some students' studies show that in comparison to darker women, light-skinned women are more enjoyable, earn higher incomes, complete more years of education, have higher self-esteem, and are typically considered more attractive by both whites and blacks. Black women usually don't receive high-quality health care. Within the healthcare industry, black women have had nearly three times the odds of reporting HIV testing than their white counterparts. Black women are at higher risk for preeclampsia than white women, and white women who had higher social economic statuses were at lower risk for preeclampsia, but social economic status had no positive effect on black women. Amongst black babies, infant death rates are even higher, and the maternal mortality rates for black women is three to four times more than white women. 
Black women and the Black community as a whole suffer from pre-existing conditions that also play a part in the racial disparities related to COVID-19, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and strokes, which African Americans are more, more likely to die at early ages from. There is nothing biologically wrong with Black people, but rather the system they live under. African American women face racial stereotypes and racism regardless of their skin complexion, health, income, insurance status, and especially education. Nisi will now speak more about education disparities that African American people face. COVID-19 has, has been affecting our education system, especially in black communities in dire ways. Coronavirus has created the largest disruption dealing with the education system in history. According to the U United Nations, 1.6 billion learners in more than 190 countries and all continents were negatively affected by the coronavirus. Low-income African-American students seem to have suffered the most. This specific form of in institutional racism has wreaked wreaked havoc in the black communities for decades, and, there, and this virus has not helped. The coronavirus crisis has exposed disparities in the education system that has reduced opportunities for children. Currently, hundreds of kids are being impacted by the, the closing of schools and other educational programs that benefited them the most. The loss of education in rural areas also threatens to strengthen generational curses and prohibit some from social interactions. Most students who live in low-income communities also depend on school lunches for nourishment daily. Limited access to school has interfered with parents and their working schedules, students and their social lives, and increased risk of violence towards women in, at, in the home. Students who live in social-income communities most likely have disadvantage within the realms of health, education, and livelihood. Tanera will discuss and reflect more on redlining and conflict dealing with the housing of minorities. Well, hi, everyone. I'm the conclusion in this podcast, so let's go out with a little bang. Many disparities between the African-American community and other races have been put in place. However, most of the time, African-Americans are the ones who always end up on the trouble end of the spectrum. One thing that has definitely affected the African-American community is in the past and still is to this day is something called redlining. If you aren't aware of what redlining is, let me inform you on it. Redlining is a discriminatory practice that puts services, which are mostly financial, out of the reach for residents of certain areas based on their race or ethnicity. This practice can occur or can be seen in the systemic denial of mortgages, insurance, loans, and other financial services based on location rather than, uh, rather than on individuals' qualifications and creditworthiness. This practice came about from the National Housing Act in 1934, and this established the Federal Housing Administration. The impact that this has had on the African-American community is tremendous. This was put in place just to hinder the black community from succeeding in housing aspects. This isolated black people into areas that would suffer lower levels of investment than their white counterparts. According to the Census Bureau, in the years 2017, results from a survey con conducted showed that approximately 11 million Americans had once lived or were still in redlined areas. Most of these numbers were minorities. Latinos took the lead in those numbers and African Americans came next. After African Americans in most situations were not able to build generational wealth and gain house ownership because of redlining. Literally generations of black families have been prohibited in gaining equity in homes that are already owned due to this practice. So in conclusion, we talked about mass incarceration, black women, education, and redlining 
and how all of these relate to COVID-19 and the disparities within the black community. Whether or not you want to take in this information and change your outlook on life is up to you. However, the world will continue to evolve and so should your mentality. So catch us next week as we talk about COVID-19 again and how it affects Antarctica.